Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey friends, welcome to this bonus episode of the Tennis and Beagles podcast. Uh, this is recorded... Um, some 12 hours after the women's final took place in Melbourne at the Australian Open, where Sabalina, wow, where Arena Sabalinka defeated Chin Wen Zhang 6 3 6 2 and defended her her eight-old title and just won her second Grand Slam title uh, before she turned 25, which apparently was a thing that she wanted to do. Uh, so, congratulations, Sabalinka. That was a really interesting, uh, well, pretty dominant actually um, run to the title this year. This was also Zhang's first final at a Grand Slam level. Um, she has pretty much had a bit of a breakthrough last year. Nobody really expected her to really win this match against Sabalenka for some reasons, because of the draw that she's had and because of the form that Sabalenka was really showing throughout this tournament. But it was still a bit of a match. Uh, it showed a few you know, good things from uh, Zhang on her side of the net and more of the same of Arena Sabalenka just essentially just playing as well as she's ever played. Um, her serve stats were pretty good. They were not exceptional in a way, but it was very controlled. She really played within herself. She's won 84% of her first serves uh, throughout this match. She only served 67%, which is actually kind of pretty high uh, of first serve, but um, Zhang, on the other hand, served a little bit less, like a 53%, won um, 74% of her first serves. It was an okay match. I think he showed a bit of um, flashes of brilliances from from Zhang's side. I think she really tried a little bit uh, to play over herself. You know, like she tried to go for way too many lines all the time. I think she tried to be overly aggressive at some points. Um, of course, Sabalenka really forced the issue. She really got a lot of good forced errors um, that allowed her to get the breaks and stay ahead. Um, and, you know, just overall throughout the entire match, basically played flawlessly she played um you know calmly she kind of believed in herself she never really had a belief that she wasn't really going to win this match even at the last game of the match when it was 5-2 and Sabalenka had a triple match point that was pretty much the only time that she kind of like let her level drop a little bit um you know all the rushes that come in with uh you know being a point away from winning another Grand Slam title um can only imagine what this feels like but you know uh, it's it's definitely something that is known that you know closing a match especially like this is is not an easy feat um, and she I think she hit like two unforced errors and then I think Zhang hit a drop shot winner um, to uh, save one of those match points I believe um, so yeah it was a, it was a good game I think it, it showed good things from uh, both sides of the net I think Sabalinka you know kind of kept herself you know together um to really close this one out she didn't really want to lose that game she faced a break point after being 40 love up um but then john couldn't really convert but also because Sabalenka hit i believe an ace out wide and then from then on it was just a victory i think this is really good for Sabalenka in general because she has had problems in the past about closing matches closing difficult matches closing matches that she should have won but then lose but then um, and I'm pretty much looking at that Roland Garros semifinal she played against Karolina Mukova last year. Um, and um, 
Yeah, I think this could do wonders. Uh, being a multiple-time Grand Slam champion, um, you know, played within herself, really understood that she didn't really need to be going for every shot, for every line, for all the winners. You know, played extremely aggressive, don't get me wrong, but she didn't really overplay it, which I think is the most important part um, in, in that regard. Um, and when it comes to Zhang, I think that um, she probably just tried a little too hard. I think that's honestly my honest opinion. Also, disclaimer, just kind of wasn't able to wake up at 3.30 a.m. to watch this whole match. So I caught from the second last game at like 5-2 in the first set up until the end of the match. So this is, I mean, it's probably like around like half of the match that I got to watch, but still, um, I do I do think that Zhang hit a, had a little bit of an issues of had a few issues about you know regarding her serve I think she double faulted a few too many times she had a six uh, aces to six double fault ratio um, in the match and um, you know that's not necessarily something that is overly terrible like in that regard some people you know manage to win a lot more matches uh, you know with even worse um, stats like this but the problem is that they kind of came in clusters and. Uh, Zhang would double fall like two, three times in a row. And that, that didn't make her games any easier. And her first serve percentage was a bit low as well as a 53%. She won 74% of her first serves. But whenever she, you know, had a second serve, uh, Sabalenka just kind of went for it. And I think the way that she was aggressive, uh, Sabalenka was aggressive on the second serve return was really good because she didn't really aim for any like small targets. She just really always aimed for really large targets. Um, but she also just injected a lot of pace, took it ball really early, and I think that kind of just worked wonders for her. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see, like, what her season goes on for now. I think that, uh, this, as I said, this slam title should give Sabalinka even more confidence than, I guess, we thought that she had uh, gained last year to win, you know, more majors throughout the year. I think she's on the course to maybe become number one again this year and maybe win another Grand Slam title. Why not? Um, but also <laughs> worth mentioning that I think she's Sabalenka has reached at least the semifinals in every Grand Slam since US Open 2022. So that's pretty huge. <laughs> the other thing that I just wanted to praise from Zhang is that even though she was making some errors, even though Sabalenka was pretty much overpowering her in every aspect of the game, um, is that she kept her composure, you know, very positively. She she kept herself very positive, positively on court. She kept believing. She hit good shots. She had good intentions uh, when she kind of tried to build her points, even though I felt like she was trying a little too hard to go for all the small targets quite too often and too often missing. I think she hit a 16 to 19 on first error ratio, which is more winners than Sabalenka hit, but then Sabalenka didn't really need to hit all that many winners because, you know, um, of her aggression and just forcing the issue on Zhang. But I, I do like that she tried really hard to until the end, and she wasn't really happy to, just to be there. She was clearly disappointed in the in the, in the um, trophy ceremony. She, you know, really wanted to win. She really tried to go for the break at 5-2 down. Um, I don't think that even if she had gone the break, this would have made much of a difference. It was a double breakup for Sabalenka, and I don't think that Zhang wouldn't have had the you know the boost on the first serve um, percentage that she would have needed to you know keep it going and I don't know that Sabalenka would just like crumble that hard on um, after losing that game I think she would still probably recover and just serve it out 
even if she wasn't able to break right after that. But it is what it is. Now Zhang is the world number seven. This is a new career high. Um, you know, that's, you know, great stuff. Like a breakthrough um, end of year 2023, continuing on, on 2024. This is great. I think that we are on to see uh, really good tennis from Zhang um, from now on over to 2024. And yeah, that's about it. I think that early to say how any season is going to go, but the signs from just this tournament and from the tail end October 2023 uh, are very good. I think Zhang is a player that you kind of need to keep an eye on. On other news, uh, we have Rohan Bopana and Matthew Abden, who won the Australian Open title. This is special because now Rohan Bopana is the oldest first-time world number one at 43 years old. I believe this should be women's or men combined. I don't think that anybody would have done this. Like, it's it's incredible. It's an, it's an achievement. Also, this is also his first uh, men's doubles title, uh, it, which he adds on to the title that he won in Roland Garros in the mix of doubles with... Um, Canadian Gabby Dabrowski. So yeah, Gabby Dabrowski is part of Rohan Bopana's history and at that point. So yeah, like, wow, what a story of, um, you know, resilience and, you know, just never giving up. And I think this is, this is all a sports is about. And I think doubles is a really great platform for this because it allows them to, you know, have their careers spend a longer time. Bopana has also become the oldest major champion. I think that they obviously would have meant this like in the singles and you know the men's and the women's category i don't think they count mixed doubles categories here uh 2017 he would have been seven years and 36 years old so yeah that wouldn't necessarily make him the oldest grand slam champion in that regard but if you're discounting mixed doubles altogether that's what it is and a lot of a bit of a fun fact as well like from um ebden um, whose history, well, story gets a little bit like under the radar because of all the incredible achievements, obviously, from Rohan Bopana, is that now that he's won, it's now three straight years that an Australian man has won the title, the AO title in men's doubles. Um, and that's the first time that this happened since 1984, when Bopana was actually three years old. So, yeah, it's been, it's been quite the time for... Um, Australian men doubles, I guess. I I don't really know what that truly would mean for them over the long run. Um, it probably is a bit of a renaissance like in terms of um, Australian tennis. Now we had uh, Ash Barty um, doing all the things that she did. And Alex Deminor also, you know, reaching the top 10 for the first time and playing really great tennis. Uh, and he got to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. So, yeah, maybe there is something brewing in the Australian tennis scene that, you know, we'll, we'll be able to see further down the line um, over the next few years. And just one last note of something that also happened. I'm not sure if it was this Saturday or it happened over on Friday as well, but um, Diere de Groot, uh, I'm probably butcher her name, but the wheelchair um, tennis player from the Netherlands is on now a 14 major winning streak, which is absolutely insane. Um, yeah, it's uh, obviously like wheelchair tennis doesn't get as much, you know, um, airtime. I think it's really fun to watch. I think it's a really great um, sport. I think it's, you know, just great stories all over the place. Like it's, it's you can't not admire these people, these athletes for what they're doing. Um, and yeah, I've tried once wheelchair tennis and, 
hitting the ball is not that difficult. You get used to it for a little bit, like very easily. If you play tennis before, problem is moving. <laughs> moving on a wheelchair is absolutely not something that I was able to do at all. It was like I was constantly like hurting myself, really, like as I try to like move on a wheelchair and just try to like reach for the ball. Um, it was it was quite interesting and. Obviously, as a as an able-bodied person, I had the urge of just jumping off of the chair and just kind of walking and running towards the ball uh, was something that I kind of had at the very uh, in the few first shots that I've played. But you know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So um, yeah, and I don't know if people know this too much, but um, also there is like one of my favorite tennis players of all time, uh, another another Dutch woman, Esther Verger. I probably also butchered her name, um, but she's one. 21 Grand Slam singles titles in a row. Um, at a time, I don't think Wimbledon was holding uh, w- uh, women's singles. She also didn't win all of those Grand Slams um, consecutively in the sense that she skipped one of those. She didn't play the Australian Open in 2010. Um, but yeah, this is... Oh, she also didn't play the Australian Open in 2005. But yeah, she basically never lost. There was... She had like... Um, think like a 400 match winning streak um, and a 725 uh, match winning streak, which amounts to 25%. Oh, what am I saying? 96.6% winning ratio. That's pretty insane. It means that out of 100 matches that she plays, she will lose three or four max. That's insane. Well, so that's about it. This is a little bit of a bonus episode. Didn't really go into too deep details of like the strategies of the you know women's doubles finals, but yeah, I think that my biggest um, takeaway here is just really that it could be a very interesting um, rivalries brewing up in the WTA now for the rest of the year. It just makes me excited to watch, and I'm also excited to not be waking up at 3 a.m. to watch uh, <laughs> Grand Slam finals or any other match for that matter. Um, so shout out for every person living in the Australian time zone overall in that in, in that latitude longitude I don't know but on that time zone because you know a lot of the year is probably pretty brutal for them so yeah shout out for you guys uh following tennis must be really hard from where you are so yeah that's it for the women's final thanks for um watching listening for this bonus episode of the tennis and bagels shout out to Owen and Vanch um who couldn't be uh, joining me today but um, yeah we'll try to like get an episode out soon for the overall review of the tournament uh, you can follow us at tennis and bagels on twitter and um, also subscribe to this youtube channel if you like all of the videos that we put up um, and you can follow owen at tennis nation you can also read his uh, book the golden rivalry which is publishing on substack the links are all in the description of this video of the podcast and you can also follow um, Vansh at VanshV2K on Twitter. He's kind of like the master of stats. So if you want to know a lot of like crazy parallels and stuff that you just never really thought that anybody even would know, he knows. So yeah, just, well, that's it. Like enjoy the men's final tonight. And if you're watching this video later on, um, yeah, just tell us what do you think about this um, women's final? And if you're watching this after the men's final, what did you think of this? I have no idea who's going to win this, so... That's kind of a very weird ending for this episode. But yeah, thanks so much for listening, for watching, and we'll see you guys later. Bye.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.